0: All right, so primarily this morning, um, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. If, if you want to turn there and follow along, you can get ready there. We will move into a couple of passages in, um, in both 1 Thessalonians and in the book of James near the end of the message. But we're starting out here in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Um, just to give us a launching off point, I'm going to reference back to a verse that we kind of were closing the service with a couple weeks ago when we were finishing up talking about coming as a child, um, because this verse sort of shows us the transition into moving from needing just the simplicity of the milk of the gospel and learning more and more how to eat solid food and grow in maturity. So let's, let's just briefly look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 as a launching off point. This is verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. Can you guys say unskilled? Unskilled. That's that immaturity phase. Unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. All right? That's where we start. There's nothing wrong with being there. But the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging us, don't stay there. Don't get stuck there. We need to be moving towards maturity. And so verse 14 now, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right, so we're talking about moving from that phase of of drinking milk to getting into solid food. I'm learning to eat on my own. It involves more of my participation the first thing I want to say to you is to a degree, there's an irony in what we're doing this morning because I'm going to preach a message where I, I did some digging, I did some work, I put a plate together, hopefully that has something decent on there for you to eat this morning, um, but really what this message is about is us learning how to put the plate together ourselves. There, there comes a point in life, not that we should ever stop receiving from others, But where we begin to learn how to supplement, where we no longer, our faith is no longer based on just, you know, listening through some Beth Moore CDs or whatever, good as as that is, necessary as that is. But I'm learning how to do some of my own digging. I'm learning how to do some of my own eating. And I'm learning how to use what I'm digging into. Um, I've made this comment before, and if you've heard me say it recently, well, I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm saying it on purpose a lot. But I um, remember years ago, I felt like I just began to have this vision of, uh, or this picture in my head um, of our churches and that our churches in this day and age, they're, they're pretty filled with people that are knowledgeable. There's a lot of knowledge of the word. And the danger that comes when we eat and eat and eat And never use what we're eating. And we become obese spiritually. The the benefit of the knowledge that we receive is to do something with it. I'm taking it in as fuel, as energy, and then I'm going to turn around and use that, and it's going to grow strong, productive muscles. And so that's what we're talking about here. He says... He says, you're mature and you're eating solid food because your powers of discernment, wisdom, understanding, it's been trained by constant practice. I regularly and consistently am am putting into use what I'm learning. And so my hope and prayer is, yes, we need a lot of knowledge. And we need to soak in it and take it in. Let's never get tired of receiving knowledge and learning about the Lord. But let's intend on doing something with it. Let's use it. And so that's what wisdom is all about. So here we go. Um, point number one this morning. We need to seek wisdom. We need to seek it. Uh, picking up in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, where the story is 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 um, where we're picking up the story here, King David has just died. And he's he's passed on the throne to his son Solomon. And so Solomon is now ascending the throne. Um, He could be anywhere from his teenage years, he could be in the the 15, 16, 17 range, up into like 20 or early 20s. Kind of the the typical view, kind of the traditional view is that he was about 20 years old. But there's scholars that there's kind of a range there. He might have been as young as 16, might have been 22. So he's right in this phase of life we're talking about, and yet... He's getting ready to sit on the throne. He's getting ready to rule. He's stepping into a place of authority. And so here's Solomon at the, at the very start of him becoming king. And we're going to pick this up in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 3. And Solomon and all the assembly with him, all the people are going to be looking to this guy to lead. They went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God Which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness, was there. This is that same place where Moses would go, this same tent. It's the same structure, this mobile building that was moved around as they were 40 years in the wilderness, and Moses would go in to commune with God and spend time with him. And then Joshua, his young apprentice, would go in there with Moses and would hang out in the presence of the Lord. And the scripture, he would, talk about how he would stay in there after Moses was done. He didn't want to leave. He was familiar with being in the presence of God. That same place now is residing in this place called Gibeon. This is about six miles north northwest of Jerusalem, and it's, it's up. It's kind of up on a, on a mountaintop, if you will. It's, it's, it's a higher ground. And it's, so it's set up up there. And so Solomon's ascending the throne, and, he, and the first thing he does is say, I need to go be in the presence of God. And the people with him said, yeah, you do. (laughs) You know, it sounds all sweet here. Oh, the whole assembly was with him. They're probably going like, man, we've had a, I mean, David was a mess at times, but like we've had a pretty awesome king. He's established us as a people here in the land. And now his son's taken over and he's kind of a young, unproven guy. And there's been some drama. There's been some other people that were vying for the throne. And they're thinking, man, we, we hope you get with the presence of God. You need him. And so he sets this time aside, and he follows the same path Moses followed, Joshua followed, his father followed. He may not know a whole lot else yet, but one thing he does know is that those men that have gone before him as leaders, they spent time in the presence of God. And so Solomon decides, I'm gonna do the same. Verses four and five. But David had brought up the ark of God from kiriath Jearim to the place that David had prepared for it. So remember, the temple has not been built yet. And so now things are kind of in these different places, like some of the key elements of of worship had been separated a little bit. Things are in a little bit of disarray. And so the ark is in a completely different place um, that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Verse 5, Moreover, the bronze altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, Son of her had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. and Solomon and the assembly sought it out. Now, I think it's interesting because very practically in Solomon's life, things are not in order. The kingdom is in disarray. There are brothers who have already been trying to take the throne before it was their turn. Things are kind of a mess. And then even the picture of God's God's house, how they worshiped, it was in a little bit of disarray. In fact, one of Solomon's primary callings in life was gonna be to get God's house in order, to build him a temple where he could be worshiped. And so Solomon comes into leadership, everything is a mess, and what Solomon does is he seeks out the presence of God. I love that it says specifically, he sought it out. He didn't just, sit there in the palace and kneel down in a quiet spot to meet with the Lord. He said, God, I believe there's something special and unique about that place where others before me have gone. I'm learning from the legacy of others. See, before he even, we're getting to the phase in a minute here where he asks God for wisdom, before he even asks God for wisdom, he's already practicing some wisdom. He's paying attention to those who've gone before him. And so he's seeking out what they had sought out, the presence of God. And so verse 6 now. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. A thousand. That's a lot. (laughs) Like, you don't have to be, you know really mathematic to figure out that a thousand is a pretty big number, especially when we're talking about animal sacrifices. A thousand offerings. Before he even starts, as he's entering the presence of God, he's coming with a sacrificial offering. How many of you have heard the story before of Solomon asking God for wisdom as a young man? How many of you heard that story before? Great. If, if you're like me, I, I, I've heard that story several times in my life. It was many times that I had heard the story before I realized that this is what led up to it. Sacrificial worship is what led to Solomon receiving wisdom from God. Sacrificial worship. Now, if you're sitting there going, yeah, but Jake, I mean, that's Old Testament stuff. Like those sacrifices. Well, first of all, Yes, you're right. This should cause us to be in awe one more time of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Solomon killed 10,000 animals as an act of worship, and we get to freely and boldly go into the throne of grace. Sometimes I think as just... Western Americans, we lose sight of how unbelievable it is that we can just walk into the presence of God and worship. This should cause us to go, wow, Jesus, one more time, I see another aspect of how incredible your gift is to me. That that because of you, because of your sacrifice, because of your act of sacrificial love, I can come into the presence of the Father. Boldly, freely, freely because your, your blood has covered my sin and has made a way for me to come and worship. That's amazing. I'm thankful for that. Additionally, can I just tell you that the principle of sacrificial worship has not stopped for us that are on the other side of New Testament grace? If you question that, go check out Romans chapter 12. Verse one opens and says, our spiritual act of worship is what? What? To present what as the sacrifice? Ourselves. Not a dead one, but a living sacrifice. And Romans 12, actually, if you keep reading verses 1 and 2 there, it maps out what's about to happen here with Solomon. Our spiritual act of worship is to be a living sacrifice who's no longer conformed to this world, but is transformed how? By the renewing of our minds. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. When I come with an attitude of sacrificial worship before God, I'm putting myself in the position to receive then a transformed mind, to receive wisdom that I could never come up with and create on my own. It's nothing but a gift from God. And he's that good and that loving and that worthy of my worship that I can come before him sacrificially and say, here I am, God. One of the things that has just been so evident to me throughout this series is how often humility keeps coming up. I'll be honest with you. About the third or fourth message, I'm like, man, I think I've talked about the importance of humility every single Sunday. And it's like, well, maybe I just, you know, we've talked about that enough. But every aspect of this, as I've been digging and studying and looking at this, every step of the way, it requires humility on our part to receive what God has for us. I don't think we realize how much pride gets in the way. I don't think God would have to talk to us about humility so much if he didn't know this is going to be our huge obstacle. Because if, if you're like me, when you reached your teenage years and you had started to acquire some knowledge, you, you kind of thought you had things figured out. My dad, amen to that louder than anybody right there. Um, There's a phrase dad used to say to me where he'd say, if I knew half as much as you think you know, I'd be a really smart guy. (laughs) But you just, you reach that age where you've got enough knowledge, you think you've got it figured out. And see, just as soon as we've grown in knowledge of God, pride wants to jump in again. But it's humility that says, God, maybe I've learned some stuff, but man, what do I do with this? Help. And so once again, I humble myself because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so once again, I approach him seeking wisdom, but starting where I always start. God, you are God, and I am not. And so I'm going to position myself to live sacrificially. Now, that's not only how we approach him, but it's how we will grow in wisdom. Because the things he's going to have to say to me are going to require my constant practice. Which means I'm going to be doing some things that are difficult. Because I'm participating with the truth. I'm growing. I'm changing. And so I'm being sharpened. And that's difficult. And so I position myself as a sacrificial worshiper. Because when his wisdom comes in... It's going to require my participation and will be challenging at times. So here's Solomon. He's positioned himself. He's worshiped God sacrificially. And now watch what happens. Verse 10. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. You've worshiped me. I'm, I'm here connecting with you. I'm present. What do you want, son? What do you want? Verse 8. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Verse 10, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Listen to what he's saying. Preemptively, before he asks for wisdom, he says, God, here's the deal. I've done the math, and I've looked at my dad, and those are pretty big shoes to fill. My dad loved you, and he followed you, and he was a godly man. And and so I'm I'm looking to those that have gone before me and seeing that legacy And in light of that, I know I need what they had. Not only that, not only have I looked at the shoes I have to fill, God, I've assessed the situation I'm in. I'm looking around and realizing there's a whole lot of people here that I'm being called to lead. God, you've placed me in a position in life that is too big for me. Man, if you can't relate to that, I can't help you this morning. we should almost be concerned when we aren't feeling like things are a little too big for us because that means we've gotten too big for our britches. But Solomon recognized the position he was in. I need help. And so, God, here I am. I, I need help. And then not only that, I love this. He, he asks for wisdom and direction, but I love the way he says it. He says, there's all these people and I need to know how to go out and to come in. He's saying, God, how am I going to navigate through this? How am I going to navigate my way through this life? How am I going to navigate my way through the responsibilities you've given me? I'm going to sit on this throne. I I have a kingdom. I have responsibilities. God, how am I going to navigate this? Y'all, this is so important. Every single one of us have been given responsibilities. We've been given little kingdoms. In fact, I would just, as an aside here, parents, I would just say to you practically, as our, as our teenagers are moving into this phase of life, they need some responsibility. Part of how we help them grow and learn wisdom is having something they could mess up. Somewhere in this phase of life is when, when we begin to learn to let go of a little bit of control to give them a little bit of responsibility because in that place of responsibility is when we begin to learn, I need help to navigate this. I need help to manage these responsibilities. And and we, instead of resting on the covering we've received from our parents or even our spiritual parents, I'm moving into a place where I'm realizing, God, I need your covering. I need your guidance. I need you to help me navigate this. And so he sees his condition accurately. And then the final thing I would just say to you that's so important is he recognizes that the throne isn't really his anyways. Look what he said again at the end of verse 10. For who can govern this people of yours? Which is so great. Even though he's a king with a throne, he recognizes he's really just stewarding something that belongs to God. That's the place we find ourselves in life. We're stewards. We're sons and daughters of the king. It's his kingdom. Whatever realms of responsibility he's given us, our our home life, our relationships, work responsibilities, spiritual influence we have in the lives of others, whatever those places of responsibility are, There's something we are stewarding that belongs to him. So why wouldn't I want his wisdom and insight in how I might handle that? That is the foundation on which Solomon says, help, (laughs) I need wisdom. I need knowledge, I need direction. And so God responds, verse 11. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, And you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I've made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. God reflected on Solomon's heart. He paid attention to Solomon's motives. Buddy, you were seeking wisdom, and even that you were seeking selflessly. You recognized your responsibilities and said, God, I need help with these. You recognized your place. And so I, I see your heart, and I'm granting you wisdom and knowledge. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. Man, one of the things that I I have found myself needing to do more and more in life is is being honest with myself and asking God to help me be honest with myself about where my motives really lie. There's a lot of, I would even say, good teaching that's available in the Christian realm that, that pulls from kingdom principles, that teaches wisdom, but I believe a lot of it, at times, we can be seeking out from selfish motivation. Like, let me read this, these wisdom principles because I've heard I'm going to have really incredible finances if I follow those. And so it's like we're going to God for the specific wisdom I want, not going to God and saying, God, what do you think I need? I'll take that. Instead of just going, here's what I want to get this, God, what do I need from you? I'll receive it. And then, Lord, I'll do what I can to apply it to the responsibilities and the life you've given me. And so we come to him for the wisdom he wants to offer. The beautiful thing is he takes care of the rest. You know, in this passage here with Solomon, the idea is like you'll be richly blessed. If you look in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, that passage is addressing anxiety. Sometimes my motivations aren't, God, I want to be rich and awesome. Sometimes my motivation is, God, I just need you to fix my anxieties and fears and I'm trying to control and let me grab this tidbit of wisdom from you to manipulate this situation to give me a little more peace and control. You know, there's a real danger in these, like, tidbit wisdoms. You know, let me live off of the, the, the little verse that's just on the fridge. Or our version of that now is, like, the verse that pops up on Instagram. Nothing wrong with that. I read those. I'm grateful for them. But, but let's, let's seek him personally. Oh, God, what is the truth and the wisdom that you have for me today? And how do I feed on your word? How do I apply it to my specific life This specific moment. God, what do you have to give me? I'm not necessarily worried about outcome. You said something about that this morning. Not worried about the outcome. I'm butchering it now. I was trying to remember the line for this moment, and I forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) But you were referencing just that idea of, God, I'm not seeking you for the stuff or for the outcome. I'm seeking you because I need you, and I'll trust you with the outcome. Because the, the, the thing in the moment that he might say that is wisdom from him might be the very thing that scares you to death. It is the very thing you're going, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that doesn't feel like what I'm really hoping for right now. But it might be exactly the right thing he has for you. When you ask for wisdom, let him give the wisdom he wants to give, and you will be blessed with so much more. But let's watch our motives. All right, and so the passage wraps up, verse 13. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. See, this is the proper order. This before ascending the throne, he left Jerusalem, went outside the gate, climbed up the mountain, spent time with God. He followed the legacy that had been handed down from Moses to Joshua to David and now to him of this is how you lead. You get with the Lord and then you're in a place where you can ascend the throne. Parents, if there's anything we can give our teenagers, it's them learning how to grow and develop their own personal relationship with Jesus that will sustain them as they move into their adult lives. Kids, if you're in the room this morning, I'm just telling you, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing about you. However great your childhood is, however difficult it is, God loves you and he's your father and he's with you and for you. And you can be like a young Joshua who hangs out in the presence of God. You can be like a Solomon who says, God, I wanna be with you and learn from you. You Can learn that now and practice that now. All of us in the room, wherever you're at in your spiritual growth and journey, God has wisdom that he longs to give. And we find it by being in his presence and letting him teach us what he will. All right? Okay. Now, even though that was point one, (laughs) it was the real meat, okay? I want to give you a couple quick things before we go this morning. So asking wisdom from God. Now, what do we do with that, okay? I want to just briefly mention that we need to receive wisdom, number two, and live wisely. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 now, beginning in verse 7. Paul is describing how he and others operated as spiritual parents in the lives of this church family here in Thessalonica. And so he's teaching them, here's here's what we had to give you. Here's how we parented you spiritually. And he's teaching them what he was up to and how they could receive from him. And so just check this out, a couple quick things. Verses seven and eight. He says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very near to us. What he says that they gave was the gospel of God. We gave you the gospel. We gave you the truth. And how did we do it? In a loving, affectionate way. We were gentle. We were affectionate. You were dear to us. How do we receive wisdom from God? We receive truth and love. We receive truth and love. It's funny. I don't know if Pastor Steve appreciated me sharing this example, but I, I really meant it complimentary last Sunday. Um, he's one of the few people in my life who would look at me after I'd preached a sermon and tell me the truth about how I had done. Not, not like I'm condemning you did terrible, but like, hey, I love you and I want you to grow and learn. And he would actually be truthful and say, hey, here's some areas you could tighten up. Here's an area where that could have been better. And also, when he looked at me and the truth was, dude, you killed it, great job. I could really receive that as truth. And so so one of the ways we receive wisdom from God is knowing he is operating in love so we can receive truth from him because it's exactly what we need to hear. Even if it's hard, it's good and it's in love. So we receive wisdom by recognizing the power of truth and love. All right, he continues on, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. The second way we receive wisdom is through the power of modeling. Modeling. If you want to grow in wisdom, get around other people that you need to learn and receive from. People's lives that you look at and go, man, I respect that guy. I respect that lady. I appreciate her. I look up to her. Go spend time around them. Watch. Paul says, listen, we were just living our life in front of you. You saw our day-in, day-out life, our labor, our toil. Like, we lived it. We lived it. Now, Solomon was pointing to the same thing. He, He over and over again was mentioning his dad. Here's what I love about that. David modeled some incredible stuff. Was David a perfect father? No. In fact, Solomon knew that really well. Remember who his mom was? The one that David committed adultery with. So Solomon learned from an imperfect father who, imperfect as he was, loved God and followed God passionately with his whole heart. And so we need to be okay with learning from imperfect people who love Jesus. Let's be a little slower to throw stones and a little faster to go, maybe I can learn something from this person who loves God and is a little further along than me. And maybe I can even learn something from their weaknesses. Maybe I can watch God's mercy show up in their life. Maybe I can even watch them not handle it well and go, I want to handle that better if I'm in that situation. God, help me do that. So the power of modeling. Okay, number three. The third thing we can see here, verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is describing the power of empowering. They exhorted them, encouraged them, challenged them. They they helped, Paul helped the people of this church become their own people, their own people who knew how to walk with God and follow him. God was calling them into his own kingdom and glory. Don't you know if Paul came to your town and visited your church, you would be wanting to ask that guy to just stick around and be the pastor there for 20 years? But Paul said, that's not what's needed here. Some of y'all need to grow up into leadership and maturity. And so that's what he did. He encouraged, exhorted, he empowered people. See, more and more, I'm, I'm thankful. I feel like I was given this gift being in youth ministry for years where I got to watch a lot of other parents and I, and I got to participate with middle school and, and high school kids. And I, as, as I've got some teenagers now, I'm thankful for some of that. Um, but I'm also a parent who's just doing this for the first time too. And I'm realizing how even with years of getting to watch that, I still am very much going, God help, I'm not totally sure what to do in any given situation. But, but one of the things I became, became convinced of, and I'm, I'm trying to do this, Emily, I hope hope me and mom are doing this. What I'm trying to do is realize that as my kids are getting older, I'm moving more and more to a role where I'm not in control as much, and so I'm more like a coach. I'm more in a coaching role. Still giving wisdom, still giving direction. I can still bench you if I need to. (laughs) But they got to get out on the court and play they got to get out there and apply what they're learning. they got to get out there and maybe make some mistakes at times. they got to get out there and sink a game-winning shot at times. Empowering is a crucial moment in growing in wisdom. If I just sit on the bench and I'm taking notes all day long and I know all the plays, but I can't go out there and execute it, I'm not skilled. I'm not growing. We need opportunity. For, but that applies to us spiritually. Some of us need to be willing to step into some new places of responsibility that will stretch us, but they'll be good for us. Because we're going to grow. As we start moving into a place of wisdom, we we have something that we not only need to use, we have something to offer. But if we won't allow ourselves to be stretched, we'll stay sitting on the sidelines. And and I, I feel like we're developing a culture of Christianity that's like designed around like a giant football stadium where we're all going to come in and we're going to be super excited. We're wearing, we know our colors. We know our team's colors and who we're for. And we come in and we're going to be loud and go for it. And we're going to really cheer and support those couple people down there on the field that are doing something. And so we rally behind well-known speakers or whatever. And nothing wrong with that. There's some speakers I respect a lot and learn from. But what our country needs, what our city needs, what your family needs are spiritual athletes who are getting in the game and realizing God's calling us into a place where we're going to be stretched because he wants to empower us. He wants to get us on the field using what we've been learning. And it's going to be messy, and we're going to make mistakes. But we're going to grow, and his kingdom is going to grow because we're in the game. We're in the game. Last thing, I'm going to wrap with this. Um, I'm going to skip to James. Okay. Um, Last thing is, we've asked for wisdom and positioned ourselves to receive it. We're receiving it by getting the truth in love, by seeing it modeled, and by getting empowered. And now we do what James calls us to do, which is to live it out. And so we're called to live wisely. A couple things from James chapter 1. Verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, what he should have said you is you all lack wisdom, so ask for it. If any of you lacks, lack, excuse me, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously. Isn't that good news? And he gives it without reproach. Dude, as a parent, that one just hits right to the heart. Like, I just know there are times where, like, I'm offering some wisdom, but I'm doing it with some reproach. (laughs) I'm doing it out of frustration. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, and and I'm doing some coaching out of that place. Thank God he doesn't do that. He gives generously, and he does it without reproach. And so we ask him, and it will be given. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now listen, we will have places of doubt and wrestling, and that's a whole other sermon or sermon series. But I will just say the, the idea behind this is learning to trust God and to say, God, I, I'm going to take you at your word. I've asked you for wisdom. You've given it. Let me not hem and haw on that. Let me act on it. Let me trust that you led me in the right direction and I'm going to have faith and apply this. And then skipping down to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer, hearer who forgets, but a doer her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When we hear from him, let's apply it. Let's do it. Let's, let's watch it work its way into our lives. We can sit in here all day long, but then if I go live my life completely ignoring what I've heard, it's not real. It doesn't take root. It stays at the level of knowledge instead of transferring into a place of wisdom where I become skilled because of constant practice. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, the good news is this isn't even really about a moment in time. This isn't about a sermon where we fill our heads with a couple of points and go, okay, got it. Wisdom's locked in, time to move forward. God, the reality is you are inviting us into a relationship with you where we bring ourselves as living sacrifices regularly into your presence to sit and be with you, the God who is truth, and invite you to speak into our lives. And so, Lord, we position ourselves like Solomon. We, we purpose to do this this morning But, God, I pray that this would be a constant practice for us as as a people, that we would position ourselves in your presence, and from the start, we're prepared to be sacrificial. We're prepared that you might stretch us. And then, God, as we begin to receive what you have to say, Lord, that we would take in your truth that's spoken in love, even when it hurts. God, that we would pursue others that we could learn from, be mentored by, who are modeling this. God, that ultimately we would get in the game, that we would see that there are ways that you're empowering us to step into responsibilities even now, where we can apply what we're learning and that it's gonna grow us and it's gonna benefit others. And so Lord, I I pray we would position ourselves to hear wisdom from you and we would purpose to apply it when you speak truth into our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning, amen.